Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies. Touchdown, 49ers. What's up, faithful? Al Sacco here with you for the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast brought to you by theqbsneak.com. Over the last two years now, the QB Sneak's weekly predictions have been over 60% correct. For accurate predictions on the NFL, thought-provoking NFL content that can help your fantasy teams, confidence pools, or any help you need in arguing with your friends over who's the GOAT, head over to www.theqbsneak.com. Huge show planned for you guys today. I'm really excited about what we have in store for you. We have an interview with 49ers running back Jeff Wilson Jr. And co-host, you know how great our co-hosts are when when Zane's away. Our guest co-host is going to be Stats, Rob Guerrera from NBC Sports and NBC Sports Pro Football Talk Live with Mike Florio. And Stats and I are going to get into a lot today. A lot of good discussion. We're going to talk about the Seattle game and why you should be happy about it. I know people were kind of like, oh, now we're no chance at Bosa. It's just a meaningless win. I don't think it was a meaningless win. I think it was a great win. And and we will tell you why we think it was a great win. We're going to talk about tanking. Do the Fans care about tanking, but I don't think players and coaches do, and, and we'll tell you why. We're also going to get into Nick Mullins and just what a sensational story Mullins has been. We're going to talk about the receivers and, and, and Pettis' emergence and if they need more help there and, and maybe somebody they should look at in the offseason who could help out with the receiver group. We're going to talk about DeForest Buckner. He had the best game of his career, I thought, and he's the centerpiece of this defense. And does this team need Earl Thomas? Do they need a big-time safety? I think they do. We'll see. We'll see if stats agrees with me on that. So a lot, a lot of cool stuff to get into today. Again, huge show. Before Stats and I break it all down, here is Jeff Wilson Jr. He's been a standout as a rookie running back for the 49ers, rushing for 230 yards over his first four NFL games. He is Jeff Wilson Jr. Jeff, thanks for being here. Oh, man, it's my pleasure, man. This is, this is a great opportunity here. Thank you. We're glad to have you. And Jeff, to start off, you had a big career at North Texas, especially your senior season. You rushed for 1,215 yards, 16 TDs, and you were the first North Texas player since 2005 to get invited to the Combine. But in November of that year, you suffered a foot injury um, that mm-hmm. kept you out for the, for the remainder of the season. And coming from a small school is hard enough. And heading into the draft, did that foot injury hamper you at all? Oh uh, yeah, uh, I I couldn't I couldn't participate or do any kind of drills for like for like three or four months after after that. You know, while everybody was doing their training and doing their work, this is no excuses mm-hmm. by any means. But while everybody was doing their training and stuff, when I was up there at Exos, I was just sitting back watching because I couldn't participate. So, what's that like mentally for you? Does that get in your head a little bit, or is it something that you're able to shake off? Uh, back then when I was going through it, it was because I knew. I see, I see, I see an opportunity where I can go out and work with some of the some of the best guys in college football and, and compete and help myself get better. And, and you know, I have to sit out and watch. So you know, it was just like it was just like, dang, I feel like I, I can get I can get so much better, but I just have to I, I have to I can't because of my foot. And you know, it's not something that I I couldn't I, I wanted to do, but physically I just couldn't. Now the draft concludes, and you don't get selected, but you sign with the 49ers as an undrafted free agent. Who were you in contact with from the team, and, and how did the whole process play out? 
you know, uh, it, it, that was a that was a crazy uh, process for me. You know, it was obviously a new one, but but the, the, I would say the main person that I talked to from the Forty ers during that process was uh, Coach Bobby Turner. Yeah, my running backs coach. Turner's got a reputation for for developing running backs. What's it been like having him as a coach? Man, he's he's helped my game uh, tremendously. You know, and it's 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 not so much as far as just. As far as like skill wise, but he 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 detailing me. He's detailed me up. I I put it like that. You know, he's he's a very detailed guy, and, and those things alone can help you be a better player just by by you know by constantly having somebody constantly tell you this, constantly tell you. Well, not constantly because you don't constantly do it, but but he's the guy that always like to like to, he's like to explain it that way in the back of your head is like you kind of always hear him, you know, and that's kind of the way he coaches and the, and the way he coaches it sticks with me. I love it. Now, once you're actually in training camp with the team, it, it looked like a tough mountain to climb at running back because you have Breeden McKinnon kind of as locks there. Then you got guys like Mostert and Joe Williams, McNichols, Alfred Morris. Even with all that competition, the Niners made sure to keep you around and add you to the practice squad. Where were you when you found out, and what was that moment like that, that you're going to stick around in the NFL? Oh, man, I was, um, I w- I was back home for my, for my grandfather's funeral. Um, and they actually had called me right before we was um about to put him under the ground, you know. Um, and that's oh wow! When I got the, yeah, that's when I had got the call from John, and you know he was basically telling me, you know, it was like uh that uh that they're gonna cover you, you know, but they're gonna bring me back for the practice squad. So man, just during that time and for my family and everybody that was around, man, it was it was it was a joy that we needed, man. So it was just like just like even going back. That's why I said it felt like this place was just meant to be for me. You know what I'm saying? had to be an emotional roller coaster for you oh yes sir it was it was you know dealing with that and then obviously dealing with football not knowing if i'm gonna be here or stay you know it was a it was it was a pretty rough time for me you know but but that's why you have family that's why you have friends and and that's why you have teammates to help kind of kind of get you through those tough times now fast forward to the bye week and you find out you're going to make a professional debut and you're going to you're going to get called up per se who lets you know about that, that, that you're going to be on the active roster? Is that something that Shanahan himself tells you? How, how does that get communicated to you? Uh, you know, it's kind of like, uh, it was kind of like my, uh, my coach kind of had told me, you know, um, and then obviously it's something that they'll talk about before, but my coach had kind of gave me like a, a little heads up, you know, before that. And then later on in the week, you know, that's when I kind of heard it from Kyle, you know, and, and it just kind of went from there. And then seeing John that, uh, that Saturday before the game, you know, and, and filling out the paperwork, man, it was, that was one of the, that was one of the greatest moments of my life. Were you able to get any family to come down to Tampa for the game? Oh, yes, sir. Actually, actually both, uh, my mom and my stepmom and my father got, got to get, was able to come to the game and watch me play my first NFL game, man. And I, I never take that for granted. I never your, take your that dad for granted. Your dad played football, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He did. He played all through high school. And, uh, he did play at UTA, um, University of Texas, Arlington before the, um, football program had got cut up there. So, you know, uh, he was, I've, I've always heard stories about how good he was and how he was a beast. So, yeah, that was, that was kind of, it was kind of my motivation growing up. Was he a running back too? Yes, sir. He was. And, I, uh, he started off playing fullback at first because he was a bigger guy, like kind of towards down the early on in the high school stages. But as he got older in high school, around that junior senior year, you know, he transitioned and running back and he stayed there for the rest. So you get promoted and, and not only have you played, but you've been a major contributor, contributor so far. And Shanahan's offense has a reputation for, for being complex. How long did it take you to feel fairly comfortable with the playbook? 
Uh, you know, I'm not gonna lie. It, it, it took it took me it took me a little bit. You know, that probably would hinder me from 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 early on. You know, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not gonna lie. I'm, I'm an honest guy, and you know, uh, this is not an easy offense. But but you know, I knew once I could get familiar with it, and once I could, and once I could get it down, I knew it'd be I knew it'd be a great deal for me. So it was frustrating, but it was it was a good frustration because I knew I knew I knew the positive on 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 the, on the end of it. So it, it worked out pretty good. What is it about his system that you think makes it so running back friendly? You know, it just it just causes it causes guys to get in open space at the end of the day. You know, uh, and the run scheme is it, it fits me perfect because I've been running like this style all my life. I'm a just I'm a one step guy. I'm a one cut mm-hmm. guy, and I'm I'm getting downhill. And the way this offense and the and the way the runs are formed up, that's kind of that's kind of the way it's made. So uh, this offense is. It's like it's like no problem for me, man. I feel like I this is this is this is where I'm supposed to be. And you run the ball so hard; it's so impressive watching you run. Do you model yourself after anyone? How did you come up with with that hard hard running style? Oh, uh, you know, it, it was just it was just you know that's just kind of kind of the way I've done it because I've always felt like like people like never never knew who I was. I always overlooked me. I felt like I wasn't good enough, you know. So. It's just the chip that I've been having ever since I was I was coming out of high school and I didn't have a, a, a D1 offer. You know, that chip is still there and it's never changed because I always feel like I can improve and I always feel like I can do better. So, I mean, it's just only going to I'm only going to run harder at the end of the day because, I mean, that's that's just me. That's the way that's the way I was raised. And, and that's just the way where I'm from. That's just how we are. We just hard guys. You know, and that's how we that's how we taught to play the game. Were there any running backs you like to watch growing up? Oh yeah, you know Adrian Peterson was probably one of the hardest runners to come mm. through this thing. So you know, uh, watching him in high school and seeing him run guys over, you know, seeing them knock guys down, you know, seeing seeing the effects and the and the reactions from the crowd, you know, seeing all that, it just kind of made me want to be that guy doing that in that situation. You know what I'm saying? So it just kind of it just kind of rubbed off on me, I guess you could say. One thing I always look at with young players is, you know, mistakes are inevitable. It's 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 yeah, how sure. you respond at, after those mistakes happen. And Shanning had said this week that your desire to get back on the field after, after you fumbled against Seattle made them confident to put you back in. And then you get back in and you were such a huge part of the win. You had huge runs in overtime. What did it mean for you, to for that coaching staff to have the confidence in you to get you right back in there and put the ball in your hands at, at, in, in crunch time? Man, that meant, that meant the world to me, man. It was like... It's just like man, it not only not only like mentally did it help me, but just but just but I mean not I mean to take that back. Not only physically did it help me, but just mentally. You know what I mean? It's just like it's just like dang, I didn't I didn't did this not only once, but it didn't happen twice. And then to 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 look at your head coach and he to put you back in the game and to see your see your, see your offensive coordinator, your running backs coach, your players, your teammates. It's telling you to stay up. You know what I mean. You're gonna be all right. You're gonna come back and make a play for us. You know those guys. Those guys, man. Those guys helped me a lot that day, man. Because fumbling is something I don't want to do. I know it's something I can't do. And I know if it, it if it happens, I won't have a job. So you know what I mean. Like I, I take that stuff serious and I take it to heart because I feel like I'm hurting my teammates. And for them to have my back from me hurting them, you know, it just made me want to go that much harder for them. And we hear you're quite the drummer, and you've been a drummer since you were two years old. Is that right? <laughs> Oh yes, sir. I have a lot of rhythm, man. Drum, drumming is life. <laughs> drumming is life. Do you do you still find time to do it during the season? Uh, I mean, it's kind of like more of an off season deal. I mean, but I feel it's it's a great way for me to relieve stress. Another way for me to relieve stress. I just 
I feel free when I go play the drums. You know, I can I can make beats, I can make music, I can I can go off my own tune. So I just be in my own little world, man, and it, it helps me. Jeff, we really appreciate the time. Good luck to you this weekend. Go get us a couple touchdowns. What do you say? Oh yes, sir. We'll do. We'll do. All right. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Thank you, guys. Like I always say, our guest hosts are the Nick Foles of backup podcast hosts, or or maybe even the Nick Mullins. Anyway, today is no different. We're excited to have with us my guest host today. He is Stats, Rob Guerrero, the executive producer of NBC Sports Radio and NBC Pro Football Talk Live with Mike Florio. Stats, thanks for being here, buddy. Thanks for having me. Now, people may be thinking, Stats does a show with Mike Florio and Chris Sims and, and Peter King's on the show. Why the hell is he doing a show with Al right now? <laughs> well, the main reason I think is Stats is a huge 49ers fan, and he always has been a big Niners fan. And, and I'm an East Coast guy, Stats, and I, I know you are too. How, how did you become a Niners fan? Well, you know, I born at the right time, I guess. I was born in 1985. It was a pretty good time uh, in Niners history. And when I was learning about football, you know, my dad's teaching me who's good, who's not. Just so happened the 49ers were on their streak of double-digit win seasons as I was growing up. But, you know, once you pick your team, you know, faithful faithful and faithful now, right? And was was it a family team for you, or were you kind of like the, the lone person in your family to be a Niners fan? No, my dad was a Giants fan, um, but I always hated the idea of, well, I live in Connecticut, so I have to choose between the Jets, the Giants, or the Patriots. Like, that never made any sense to me. <laughs> right. At that point, there was 30 teams, so I was like, I'm going to pick whoever I want. And they, these guys over here in the red jerseys are pretty good. So I think I'll be an artist. Yeah, my my dad was actually a Colts fan, and my mother was a Bills fan where I grew up. So I, I it was just a thing where I saw Joe Montana and Jerry Rice, and and I was just hooked. And you, you know, it hasn't been easy for us lately, and especially the last four years, big wins have been hard to come by. And I want to start off with the Seattle game because for me, stats this was as exciting a game as I can remember in the last four years. And I understand the notion that the 49ers could use Bosa and the argument against winning meaningless games, but players and coaches whose jobs are on the line weekly don't think like that. And, and, and we will get into that. But first, I wanted to talk about what this game meant. Because like I said, there haven't been a lot of good vibes the past three or four years. And you look at this 49ers and Seahawks rivalry. The Harbaugh years, or most of them anyway, 2011 to 13, this was the best rivalry in the NFL. I mean, we're talking physical, tough, just two teams beating the hell out of each other. It was just great old school football. And now in the last five years or so, it's just been so one-sided. Seattle's won 12 of 13. They've won 10 in a row. And actually, the 49ers have scored 18 points or less in 12 of those thirteen last 13 games. So it's been completely one-sided. So as this game was going on, to me, it was hard. You know, I went into it thinking it's better off if they lose. And then as the game goes on and you see how well they're playing, they have a chance. I was so into this game. You got Mullins out there just being gutty and efficient and, and Pettis continuing to emerge. And, and Buckner, and we'll get into this too, had that dominant game we've been waiting to see against this team, against this Seattle team. Stats in a season that's been one gut punch after another. Didn't this feel good? Absolutely. Look. Forget the Harbaugh years or after the Harbaugh years. Since 2000, this team has, I believe it's five winning seasons. That's five winning seasons in 18 years. I'm tired of seeing my team lose. I know it hurts the draft stock. I, I get that. But you know what? How about a win? I mean, you mentioned the Niners-Seahawks rivalry. It hasn't been much of a rivalry. You gave the numbers. And like you said, it wasn't just that we're losing games. We're just getting 
killed. We were getting embarrassed. Even when the 49ers were really good, they got destroyed, especially in Seattle by, by the Seahawks. I wanted to win. You listen to Joe Staley talk after the game, the first time they played when they were embarrassed. You listen to what he says about how badly he wanted to beat Seattle. Look, draft position, yeah, I get it, but it was just nice to see that game end and the guys in red with their hands in the air and the Seahawks, who had everything to play for because they were trying to clinch a playoff spot, had to wait another week. And they celebrated like they, they won a playoff game, and you could say, oh, okay, but, but that made that's how much that game meant to this team and that's how much this game meant to Kyle Shanahan and and they were embarrassed they were embarrassed the last time they played Seattle for so for them to come back and maybe kind of get that monkey off their back do you think this could this could give them some momentum heading into next year well I would have thought so but then we saw what happened at the beginning of this year coming off of last year I'm not sure how much the momentum carries over but I will say your point about their reaction is a good one because just looking on paper, you see Kenny Sheehan, 10 and 20 as 49ers head coach. But when you see the locker room react the way they did, it tells me that he hasn't lost the team and they still have faith in him. And to be able to keep it together, especially this year when the expectations were really higher than they've been since Jim Harbaugh was fired. To keep it together like that, I give Kyle Shanahan and his staff a lot of credit. And that, to me, means more or that, I think, can carry over more to next year than any momentum they get from any one or two wins at the end of the season. In the notion of tanking, I, I brought that up earlier. I feel like that's a fan thing, and it's just not realistic for coaches or players. And, and you're certainly, certainly a hell of a lot closer to this than I am. I mean, you deal with these guys every day. In, in the NFL, players and coaches have their jobs online weekly, and, and they're not thinking about tanking or getting a better pick because they may not be there next season. And uh, for example, look at on the player side, look at Nick Mullins. This guy went from a practice squad nobody to a legit NFL quarterback because of the opportunity he got and seized in these quote unquote meaningless games, these games that don't matter. Do people really think he's going to say like, oh, you know what? Let me settle for a field goal here. Let me maybe overthrow this ball so we get close, but not close enough. That's just ridiculous to me. And even on the coaching end of it, you look at somebody like Robert Sala. He's probably coaching for his job this last part of the season. He may have saved it if they win a few jo- few more games here and, and they play well in the next couple of weeks. He may have saved his job. And he's not going to go out there and say, you know, uh, let me give up about 23 points, and but we'll lose. Let me, let me just do okay. He's not going to do that. I just feel the notion of tanking is, is, is this fan-made thing, and, and it's just not even on the radar of these other guys. Do you think that that's fair to say? Yeah, I think there's, there seems to be a disconnect between fans and teams about tanking and what actually happens. There's no sport where players go out onto the field and are deliberately trying to lose. That just doesn't happen. You talk about athletes, especially professional athletes, you're talking about the most competitive people on the planet. You're talking about the top 1% of people on the planet. It's a different mindset that they have. They're not going out there trying to lose. The tanking comes from teams saying, we are not going to play our best players because they're veterans or because we have younger rookies that we want to take a look at. That's where the whole tanking comes from. It's when you know that maybe you're making some decisions that where you aren't necessarily putting the absolute best player out there all the time, but whatever player you put on the field is playing as hard as they can to win. I think that's a disconnect sometimes between when people say tanking and what actually happens. And one of the guys I mentioned, Nick Mullins and 
one of the things that, that I said in the preseason, and, and some people said I was crazy with it, I thought the most important player or the most important performance that we would see in the preseason out of anybody was C.J. Beathard. And the reason I thought that was because the Niners were supposed to be a playoff team this year, right? And I wanted to know if if disaster happened. And I thought more. I didn't, I didn't think Garoppolo would be out in week three, but I thought maybe, okay, if the Niners are five and five, and Beathard's got to play three or four games. Can he, can he keep them afloat? Can he do that? And, and in the playoffs, I'm sorry, in the preseason, Beathard to me, he just looked, he looked slow to process things. He looked a lot like he did last year. And, and I was worried about that. And I thought Mullins played better than him in the preseason. Now, obviously there's a lot going on there because they're playing with third and fourth stringers and, and you don't know what the other circumstances are, but I did think Mullins played better than Beathard in the preseason, but I wanted to see can can Beathard keep this team afloat? And he couldn't. And he hasn't been able to. And and he gets hurt in that game and Mullins has come in. And what he's done to me from a practice squatter to coming out and leading this team to a three and three record, it's 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 been nothing short of amazing. And if you look at his numbers right now in the six games, he's not just a game manager stats. He's putting up big numbers. 64.5% completion, 292 passing yards a game, 10 touchdown passes. He's got a 96 rating, 8.6 yards per attempt, which is fourth in the NFL right now of any player with at least 200 attempts. He's had three games with a QB rating of over 100. Numbers-wise, this guy's just getting it done, and, and he looks to me like he could be a legit NFL quarterback. He looks like a starter to me. I mean, is this Kyle Shanahan, or, or did they find something in Mullins? I think it's both. I think that Mullins is a good fit for what Kyle likes to do. I think he processes things very well. I think he keeps the ball out of his hands in a reasonable amount of time, and he doesn't panic back there in the pocket. But the biggest thing to me that separates Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard is Beathard just turns the ball over constantly. Right. He, Beathard was not giving the offense a chance to succeed. And so even when they were moving the ball with Beathard, they would have turnovers, interceptions, fumbles, and they would just erase any good that the offense had built up to that point. And I don't, I, Nick Mullins, I feel like he doesn't do that. He hasn't lost a game yet for the 49ers, where I feel that, like C.J. Beathard, he's lost games when he's been the starter back there. Even, even those Arizona games, the one game he played terrible, but in the first game they had over whatever it was, 450 yards or whatever it was on offense. But like you said, he just he turns the ball over. He does not give them a chance to win. And I said at the time after, after Mullins had the game against Oakland and everybody saying, oh, well, it was against the Raiders and we'll see what happens. I said, I, I know what CJ Beathard is. <laughs> I, I know what he's going to do. He, he's going to go out. Like you said, he's going to turn the ball over and he doesn't win games. He's one and nine as a starter. Let's see what, what Mullins has. And I'm going to throw some numbers out at you. And I, I am in no way, shape or form saying that there's going to be a quarterback controversy. I don't even think that's oh, here we go. It's, it's not happening. I'm not, I'm not saying it, but, but just look at these numbers just kind of to, to let you know how well Mullins has done. And, and, I, and I gave you some of his numbers before, but I'll compare him to Garoppolo. Okay. In eight games, Garoppolo completion percentage, 64.5%. Mullins is the same through six games. Garoppolo averages 282 yards passing. Mullins, 292. In eight games, Garoppolo, 11 touchdowns. Mullins had 10 and six. Garoppolo's throwing eight picks in eight games. Uh, Mullins has six. And then Garoppolo's rating is a 94. Mullins is a 96. Now, the big difference here, when, if, if you want to go numbers-wise, okay, the Niners were averaging 27.1 points per game with Garoppolo and only 21 with Mullins. So the point of this is that numbers-wise, they're pretty close. 
And if you look at the last 24 games, the 49ers are nine and five with Garoppolo and Mullen starting. They're one and nine with Beathard. So that goes to show you right now, uh, Garoppolo to me is the undisputed starter. It's not if Mullins goes out and throws for 500 yards and five touchdowns the next two weeks, it doesn't matter. Garoppolo is coming in in the pre, as he should, and he's going to be the starter. But Mullins has proved that he can be a competent backup and come in and win games. And you've seen with teams like the Eagles, right, what that means. A lot of people are starting to talk now stats about if the Niners get a trade offer for Mullins. Like if somebody comes in and says, I'll give you a two for him. I think that's crazy. Because I think you need a competent backup, especially especially when you have a starter coming off an ACL. Do you think that's nuts? Is there any way, shape, or form you trade Mullins in the offseason? No, I don't trade Mullins because, I, one, I agree with you. I think he's shown to be a very competent backup, especially in the system. But, two, we there's two things we don't know about Jimmy Garoppolo. We don't know for sure that he's going to be a stud franchise quarterback, no questions asked. And we don't know if he can stay healthy. Look, he's mm-hmm. going to be... 28 next year and he's going to have a total in his career of 10 starts but we don't really know what he is yet and anytime he's gotten the chance to start he's gotten hurt whether it was in new england when he had a hamstring injury or with the niners and this acl now you could argue that these are kind of fluke things but Mm -hmm. you know the facts are he's gotten hurt every time he's gotten a chance to play so there are no certainties with jimmy garoppolo so even if you get a crazy trade offer if you're the niners i think you stand pat I think you have to, especially if, if playoffs are on the agenda next year. And it, it should be. I, we just gave those numbers. If, if the 49ers have competent quarterback play, they're a decent team. It, as bad as everything's gone this year, they're really not that bad if they get competent quarterback play. And even when they were losing with Hoyer, those were close games. They didn't really get blown out with Brian Hoyer back there. They were losing games by two and three points. Again, they weren't getting good quarterback play. But under Shanahan... He's had a few bad stretches last year against Philly and in Dallas. And this year there were a couple games too against Seattle and uh, the Tampa Bay game where he gets blown out. But for the most part, the Niners are in these games. So if you have a couple of good quarterbacks, they, there's no reason they cannot be a playoff team next year. And what's been even more impressive to me in terms of what Mullins has done. Look, we know Kittle's a stud. George Kittle has been amazing, but he's not, who is he throwing to other than Kittle? He's got a rookie wide receiver in Pettis an undrafted free agent second year in Bourne, Trent Taylor, who was a fifth round pick and hasn't really done much. It's not like he's out there throwing, you know, to Julio Jones and and these amazing receivers. And the development of Pettis has has been huge. Pettis, the last four game stats, he's been targeted 26 times, 17 catches, 338 yards and four TDs. He's got set. He's had 77 or more yards in three of his last four games. And you say, well, Al, in the NFL these days, that's not overly impressive. Well, it is if you're a 49ers receiver because the only other time the Niners had a wide receiver hit 77 or more this season was good in week six. Now, in terms of his 338 yards in four games, all other 49ers wide receivers this season, not in the last four games, this season, Goodwin in nine games, 366 yards, Bourne in 14 games, 355 yards. Garcon in eight games, 286. And Trent Taylor this year has got 175. So what Pettis has done to me has, has been incredible considering he did nothing in the, in the beginning of the year because of the knee injury and everything else. But going into next year, you have to feel really good about Pettis and Kittle as, as a starting point for this offense, don't you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, especially for when you consider when Pettis is banged up. At one point this year, the 49ers are moving the ball with the George Kittle in their fullback. And that's how they were getting down the field. Mm-hmm. Like you said, we don't need studs at wide receiver to move the ball with Kyle Shanahan. 
And I think Dante Pettis is very, very good. And, and one thing that I really liked from him was in the Denver game, they were on the goal line, and he gave just a little shoulder move at the goal line, and he created like three yards of separation to catch his touchdown pass. The 49ers have not had that. Even when, when Michael Crabtree and Anquan Bolden were there, those guys were great at making contested catches and catches. But the 49ers haven't had a guy that could separate probably since Terrell Owens. So that was really refreshing to see as a 49er fan, somebody that could play outside the hash marks that can actually separate a little bit. I, and I agree with what you said, where, where I don't think they need these studs out there because of the way Shanahan runs his scheme, but I, I, they do need help at wide receiver. And I look at Taylor and Bourne, who are, who are playing a lot of snaps right now, and I, to me, they're probably at best fourth or fifth wide receivers. They need more there. And there's not going to be that much in free agency, but I want to run a name by you, see what you think. And the more I look at it, the list of guys who are going to be available, he, just, he keeps sticking out to me. He keeps sticking out to me. And that's Tyrell Williams from the Chargers. He's 27 years old. He's 6'4", 205. He runs a 4'4". Chargers have Mike Williams and, and, and Keenan Allen there. And, and Tyrell Williams, he's, he's already had a 1,000-yard season. He had 1,059. Other years, uh, 43 for 728. And, and this year, he's 38 for 618. He scores touchdowns. He's had seven touchdowns in a season, four and five. I don't know if it would be an overpaying situation for him. The Niners certainly have the money. What do you, what do you think of him, or, or what have you heard from around the league about him? I think it would be a smart choice. I think, like you said, I don't think they should fall in love with him, he, although, like you pointed out, there's a lot to like there with Tyro Williams. But I think that in that system, the difference between a Tyro Williams or somebody else that they could get, I don't think is so great that you need to take a bank to get any one player in there. Like, I don't think that Marquise Goodwin is an amazing wide receiver. I think he's a really good wide receiver whose skills fit nicely with Kyle Shanahan's system, and he can do some real damage. And I think that's how Shanahan approaches it, too. I don't think he's thinking like, oh, we have to go out and get an Odell Beckham number one wide receiver. So whether it's Tyrell Williams or whether it's someone they find in the draft, I think they more than person in particular. And... I think that that gives them a lot of flexibility and a lot more hope for next season that whoever they get in there is going to be productive. You mentioned the draft. If if you're running this team, we know we only have five picks. No edge is going to be, it might even be two picks because they really need pass rushers. But what, what other positions are, do you think are the biggest needs? Well, they need a pass rusher desperately. Now, everybody needs a pass rusher. But the 49ers really, really, especially from the edge, could use a pass rusher, which I know is frustrating for a lot of fans because they've spent so much draft capital on the defensive line. Um, but this seems to be the path to do it. This is a very deep uh, draft in terms of defensive line and, and uh, guys that can rush the passer. So that's good news for 49er fans. But I think that has to be their number one need. And I would look, I would say, probably secondary help also. I mean, some of the injuries they've had in the secondary – Jimmy Ward breaks his arm every year, apparently. Yeah. So yeah. they definitely need help in the secondary. Um, I like, I'm really surprised by what Richard Sherman has done this year. He's looked way better than I thought he was going to look. Akella Witherspoon, I'm sorry. I, I, I've seen enough to know I've seen too much of him. So they oh, really? Need someone to play opposite Sherman. Yeah, I'm see, down see, on Witherspoon. It's interesting you say that because people are kind of, some people are still on, on the Witherspoon bandwagon and some are, I, I think he played better. This, this is my whole thing on Witherspoon. I think, well, I know he was hurt early in the year. He rolled an ankle and he started to have some mental mistakes and, and, and looked like he was lost, but I feel like the whole Niners defense kind of looked that way. So I didn't want to single him out. 
and he has really played better the past few weeks. It's interesting you say that because I, I I'm still I, I do think they need to bring in another corner, but I'm I'm still on the Witherspoon bandwagon. I am. Here's my criticism of Witherspoon, and it was the same thing I heard about him when he was drafted that he's not physical enough. He's not That's true. That's a, true. you know he's not going to go in there and mix it up with people. And my philosophy on that, I feel like is. I can take a guy who's too physical and back him up. But I can't, if you don't have that mentality, I don't know if there's anything you can do to give it to someone. You can't coach it. How do you suddenly instill that in somebody? And if, if teams know he's not going to be physical, he's not going to you know, be anything to worry about if he comes up to the gym with the line of scrimmage, or he's not going to help out in any serious one you know, support, they're going to target that. And I think you saw that for large portions of this year. You know what's starting to drive me crazy? And I feel like it happens every year. There's somebody in the Niners secondary that you're like, yep, this is the next guy. And then the next season, they just disappear. Remember Rashard Robinson? How everybody was like, oh, this, this, guy, this guy can play. And then the next season, he's gone. He's awful and he's gone. Witherspoon, the end of last season, and Colbert, both of those guys were like, yep, we got our cornerback for the next 10 years, and this is our free safety. And now, again, you look like you're going to replace those two positions. I just want them to get somebody, draft somebody that they can get in there and is just going to be an answer for the next. I'll take, I'll take three years at this point, you know? Yeah. Well, the Colbert thing, too, is, is really like disappointing because if you look at how Seattle got good, not only did they draft good players they drafted good players late which is huge with the way the current cba is set up because if you draft guys in the third round fourth round fifth round they are not allowed to renegotiate their deals for four years so you create a window there where you get really really good players and you don't have to pay them anything so when you look at colbert who i believe was the seventh round pick was he not yes yep seven round yep I mean, to be able to have somebody that I thought was going to be a pro bowl player for a seventh round salary, to have somebody like Kittle, who was a fifth round pick locked in there for, for all those years, like you started to see the, the bones of a team that could be really, really cheap for a really extended period of time. And that was what was so encouraging. It didn't matter that we were paying Jimmy G, you know, $153 million or whatever it was, because these other guys were so cheap that it wouldn't even it wouldn't damage us. We could still go out and sign free agents. So to see Colbert now be as disappointing as he was, and some of those other guys, it's like, ah, maybe we're not as close as I thought we were. And you mentioned the free safety position, and, and I, I do want to talk about Buckner a little bit, but before we do that, I, I want to address Colbert and what we thought we had and what we don't. And it seems like you said it would be great to have these cheap guys who, you know, we've had a late round draft pick, we hit on them, we've solved this position for the next four years or whatever it is, but there seem to be some issues there now. And for this Seattle defense to work, you need that high safety, right? We know we need the pass rushers, mm -hmm. but they also need that high safety, and they certainly don't have that right now. Two interceptions this whole season, this whole season, in five takeaways, the whole, they're on, they're on a pace for the least amount of takeaways uh, maybe ever i know at least in the modern era i mean it's you think it, they would accidentally get get a takeaway at, <laughs> at this point like a ball you know a ball would get tipped or something and it's, it's not happening they need that high safety so badly and there's going to be a guy out there he's going to be 30 years old he's coming no. off a broken leg but no. for the seattle if you say you're not about it i, I, I cannot wait to hear your reasons because i think for me, what I do is I'm not giving them a huge six-year deal but at 30 years old, but 
if I can get him on, okay, a four-year deal that's really a two-year deal, and I can pay him up front, I am paying Earl Thomas a truckload of money for 2019 and 2020 to bring him into the fold. You, you, you don't think so? No, I want no part. Look, if Kyle Shanahan wants to hop in a DeLorean and go back to you know 2012 to, to take Earl Thomas, I'm all for it. But you don't build the defense you want by going to get the old Seattle Seahawks. Like Richard Sherman is one thing, but it's bringing Earl Thomas coming off two broken legs. So remember that this year he broke his leg. Last year he broke his leg too, I believe. Oh, you were yeah. talking about return. Mm-hmm. So that's not to me how the best way to go ahead and do it. I mean, what are the odds that you're going to get the best of Earl Thomas? He's going to be, you know, like you said, 30 years old, coming off multiple serious injuries. The best days of Earl Thomas are behind him. And that's not how you build your team. You want guys that are, their best days are yet. So while I agree, they absolutely need good safety play and a guy, a rangy guy like that that can cover a lot of ground back there. I don't think that guy is Earl Thomas anymore. One guy they definitely have to throw a lot of money at, in my opinion, this offseason is DeForest Buckner. Just get the extension done. He's a stud. He is going to be the centerpiece of your defense. I, like I said, I, I thought that the game he had against Seattle was the signature game for him. He hasn't played in a lot of big games. He hasn't had the opportunity to. And, and this was n- not a big game in terms of the standings, but a big game in terms of what it meant. And man, did he show up 11 tackles, 11 tackles from the defensive line, two sacks, multiple tackles for loss. And last season, he only has the three sacks, but his 52 pressures led the lead. Well, so he had 52 pressures and he led the league in, in QB hits, I believe. So the 11 sacks we knew were coming. We knew those double digit sacks were coming. It's the most anyone's had since, since Alden Smith. So he's eligible for this extension. Niners got to lock him up, right? I completely agree with you. You know, one of the things I loved about the Jimmy Garoppolo situation was it wasn't like there wasn't a lot of negotiating. You didn't hear like one side thinking it was all of a sudden, boom, done. And John Lynch just said, hey, we didn't want to mess around. We wanted to go in and show him what we thought, and how serious we were, and we got him done. They need to do exactly the same thing with DeForest Buckner. They have plenty of salary cap room. No reason to try and get cute and, you know, try and lowball somebody. DeForest Buckner is so valuable to that defense and what they want to do that they need to get it done right away. You mentioned those pressures. It's one thing to get pressure on the quarterback, but pressure from the edge can be dealt with. The quarterback steps up, and they still have time to throw, and they're not really too bothered by it. But pressure up the middle is totally different. It transforms your entire defense. It makes your edge rushers better because when you get pressure up the middle, the quarterback doesn't have anywhere to go. I think that what he provides them is so And I think that other teams would be chopping it a bit to try and sign him so they need to get it done immediately, pay him whatever he wants, uh, just do it and, and move on. Where are, you, where are you on Solomon Thomas? I'm actually encouraged by Solomon Thomas, especially in that Seattle game. He had a couple of quick pressures right away. They either drew a holding call or forced Russell Wilson to roll out one way or the other. He hasn't been great up to this point. I, I Completely admit that, but he's had, you know, a personal tragedy with his sister taking her own life, which, you know, I'm sure that affects you in many ways, just personally and professionally. And Buckner, like you said, is a monster. I think Eric Armstead also has started to play better. So I think on that defensive line, I look at that defensive line as the stock rising, and that includes Alan Thomas. You know, he needs to get more sacks, but the signs lately have been encouraging. 
they are one piece away from being dominating to me on the defensive line. Armstead doesn't get the credit. Ar- Armstead is not a pass rusher. He's not the type of guy who's going to put up 10 sacks. I don't even think he has 10 sacks in his career. But he's a terrific run run defender. If, if, he, if they got him in the third or fourth round, you'd be like, oh my God, Armstead is this great piece. Because he's a first round pick. He doesn't get any... And, and I get it. I get it. You draft him in the first round. You want him to be this dominant guy with gaudy stats. He's not that, but he's a good player. Thomas, like you said, I'm encouraged in Buckner and his Buckner. They get that one edge rusher because Marsh is, I mean, Marsh is a backup at best. They, they get that one edge rusher and that D line next year can be really scary. I totally agree. And there was a time this year when, when the Niners had the number one pick or I was dreaming of Nick Bosa thinking, <laughs> yeah. okay, now we really could have something up front. Uh, you know, they're not in a position to draft him number one overall right now. So that may not happen, but I agree. I like that the defense in recent weeks has not looked as confused as they did earlier this year. You mentioned it earlier. There were a lot of times, especially in the secondary, where guys didn't know what the hell was going on. It was odd because the scheme that they run is not overly complicated. That's the crazy thing about it. So I don't know where all the confusion would come from. But lately, they don't look confused. They look like they're playing a lot more aggressively. They look like they're not thinking as much out there. It's it sort of restores your faith in what we thought this defense was going to be going into this year. Stats, before we wrap this up, I, I have to ask you, and I've, I've asked other people this too, but you're so involved with the NFL and, and you talk to people, I'm, I'm sure behind the scenes, but you have so many people on the show and you're just around it so much. What do you think people in the league, how do they feel about Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch? Do they feel like they're doing a good job? Because there's been injuries but there's also been some really kind of sloppy play. Are Shanahan and Lynch still respected? Do people still feel like the Niners are on their way? Or are there maybe some doubts creeping in because of what's happened this year? I think they're, they're right on that line. Right? Last year, even though the record wasn't good, I think people said, look, Kyle Shanahan inherited a terrible roster. It's going to take And then all of a sudden, bam, the Jimmy G trade happens, and they start winning. Five straight wins to end the season. Unbelievable. And everybody ramps up the expectation. When Jimmy G gets hurt this year, and they, you see the team start to struggle again. People started to say, okay, well, wait a minute. Maybe Kyle Shanahan isn't this offensive genius. Look at the way C.J. Beathard is struggling. Maybe he's not this great guy that we thought. But I think with the, with the play of Mullins recently, people are like, all right, I'm not ready to totally crush this yet. But my patience is worn out. The honeymoon is over. When Jimmy G is back next year, this guy's got to come out of the game like gangbusters. And if they don't, then I think you'll start to see things sort of heat up a little bit under Shanahan and Lynch. They have to win eight, nine, ten games next year, right? They have to kind of at least be in the playoff hunt, right? Uh, yeah, honestly, I think they do. I mean, I don't think that, that uh, it's like if they win seven games next year, I don't think Shanahan or Lynch is going to get fired. But I think the opinion of the whole regime among people in the league is going to be, these guys aren't what we thought they were. Maybe, you know, maybe Kyle Shane has just one of these hot coordinators that mm-hmm. once they get a head coaching job, can't put it all together. So we'll see what happens. I'm hopeful. I mean, honestly, I thought if Jimmy G stayed healthy this year, the Niners were going to play for the NFC Championship. I really mm-hmm. did. I was not impressed with, with what he did last year. The expectations are still there. They're going to have another high draft pick, probably a top five pick this year. They can get a tax player. 
I think the expectations going into next year are going to be just as high and maybe a little higher than they were this year, considering the breakout of guys, like you said, like DeForest Buckner and George Kittle. Stats, you have a standing invite to come on the show whenever you want to, my friend. Thanks for the time today. Oh, that is a dangerous invite to make because you'll be hearing from me. Thank you. (laughs) All right, brother. Okay, just a couple more things before I get out of here, too. And I wanted to hand out game balls, and Zane and I usually hand out one game ball apiece. So I'm going to go ahead and hand out two this time around because two players really deserve it. And the first to me is Nick Mullins. And Mullins only did what no 49ers quarterback has been able to do since 2013, and that's actually beat the Seahawks, except the 26 points he put up were the most since 2011 against the Seahawks team. And I know this was a Seahawks team without Sherman, without Earl Thomas without Michael Bennett, without those guys that had really hurt the 49ers over the years. But still, this is a good Seahawks team that was fighting for a playoff position. And Mullins went out and played fantastic. He was 20 of 29 for 275 yards, one touchdown, and he did not turn the ball over. When you consider he had three drops mixed in there, just an incredible day. And he did miss George Kittle on a couple long balls here. And I remember on one of the drives, he missed him on what for sure would have been a touchdown. And I said to myself, the same thing I said when he threw that bad interception, I think it was against the Giants. How's he going to respond? Okay, he just missed this throw. He's this young 23-year-old undrafted free agent. How's he going to respond? And he responded by leading his team on a touchdown drive. The same thing he did when he threw that bad interception. So he continues to show moxie. He continues to show guts. He continues to prove he belongs in the NFL. He now has the most passing yards against the Seahawks of any quarterback in one season with 689. The history of the league since the Seahawks came in in 1976, Nick Mullins has the most passing yards. So that's really very important and just a a terrific stat for a young kid like that. And the arrows pointed up for Mullins, and we'll see how he does this week. There's a huge, just a huge test against the Bears, who might have the best defense in the league, and certainly a pass rush that can get to Mullins with four guys. We've seen him do well against the blitz. We've seen him be able to get rid of the ball, but how will he do now with, with a team that's just getting that kind of pressure with Khalil Mack coming off the edge and just those four up front. We'll see. Could he have a rough game? Maybe it's just his seventh start in his NFL career, but if he goes out there and plays well or tears it up, then we really have to start talking about Mullins as, as legit. Cause he's going against a heck of a defense. And if he can go into Chicago and, and put up big numbers, it's, it's, it's going to be impressive. The other player I wanted to give the game ball to is DeForest Buckner. And we look, we talked about his numbers earlier in the show with stats. This was his signature game to me. He went out against a division rival, and he played huge. 11 tackles for a defensive tackle, multiple tackles for loss, two sacks. I mean, this guy was dominant. Peter Schrager said on Good Morning Football that he was probably the best player in the NFL in Week 15, and, and, and he might have been. He might, he might have had the best week out of anybody. DeForest Buckner is that good and the Niners need to lock him up moving forward whatever it takes whatever the money is he he is he is a centerpiece for that defense and again like Stats and I talked about you get somebody on the outside who's even an above average pass rusher with Buckner and, and the sky's the limit for this guy I mean he's had 11 sacks this year with with no help pretty much so imagine if he gets somebody else on the defensive line that you have to worry about in pass rushing situations he's he's just going to be a monster and it's good it's again some positives for the Niners Mullins, Buckner, gives you some hope headed into next year. And I know we saw this last season too, but that's all you can ask for right now is a little, some silver linings here and there. And the Niners have that. And guys, Mullins, Buckner, Pettis, some guys are really start, starting to show that. Prediction, I still think the Bears are, are, are going to take this one. The Bears have a lot of firepower. That defense is good. 
it's going to be a really tough game for the Niners to to knock them off. If they do, great. It's going to be an, another awesome win. But I think they're going to put up a fight, but it's it's going to be a little bit too difficult for them. I do have to go with the Bears this week against the Niners. A couple other quick things. Um, I'm now writing for the Niners Wire. And some of you may or may not know that. I just started writing for them. Oh, I think it was two weeks ago now. I've done a couple articles for them. You may be familiar. Uh, Chris Biederman's written for them. Rob Lauder's written for them. Right now, uh, Kyle Madsen's the editor-in-chief for the Niners Wire. So I'm excited to be over there and working with them. I'm not going to leave the web zone. Still going to do the show. Still going to write and do everything that I've done for the web zone. It's just something I'm, I'm doing on the side as well. But I'm excited to do it. As far as the next show. I think maybe we might do one in late next week. We'll have to see what the holidays are and, and how that works. I don't know. If not, we'll be back the following week. But next week right now, it's going to be too determined. But this was a great show. I want to thank everyone for joining me, Stats for joining me on the show, and, and, and Jeff Wilson for coming on the show as well. It was, was a lot of fun. hope you guys enjoyed it. And until next time, this is Al Sacco. Happy holidays, everybody.